The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Uh, kia ora and welcome to The Fold. This week I've got uh, a guest I've been trying to get for, for quite some time. It's Melody Robinson, who is just, I don't know, I, I, I think she's one of the most impressive people in New Zealand media, um, full stop. Uh, she is a former Black Fern, a former gallery journalist. She has an MBA from Auckland. She was the first woman to to ever get near commentary of uh, All Blacks games. Um, she's so frequently in her career been been the first woman, the first Maori woman in a um, in a role. And you know that the new, you know as bad and, and un kind of. Reconstructed as as parts of New Zealand still are. You know, when she first had started doing this twenty five, uh, you know, twenty twenty five years ago, the country was in a very different place. Um, and you know, she she's flown the plane. She's put up with all kinds of stuff, which she touches on a bit. I mean, and honestly, like I just I don't know how you show the character and the will to deal with like whole days of radio sport you know whole, you know the hostility of of organizations that you work for some of the stuff that she's she's been through is probably unique in in the annals of New Zealand media and her response to that has not been to you know to 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 move away from it but it has been to kind of try and build a structure so that there'll be more people like her um, uh, and part of that is the wonderful group which we talk about on the podcast um, she is now head of sport and events for for TVNZ after a long career uh, at Sky. Um, but she she's just and and also honestly, like the best, funniest, filthiest, craziest stories I've I've ever heard in my life have come from Melody Robinson over a beer. Um, she she has has seen some things, and uh, you know, just the very definition of wahine tour. Um, it's a really, really fun podcast. I could have talked to her for another two, three hours, um, but I think we, we we cover off a bunch of really interesting stuff. Um, and yeah, enjoy. Kia ora, Melody, and uh, welcome to The Fold. Kia ora. Nice to be here, actually. Yes. Um, I've been wanting to interview you for, for a long time. Um, have have known you for, for a while, but... Um, but particularly because 2020 has, I mean, it's been a, a crazy year for so many reasons, but it feels like professional sports, because uh, of the nature of it, has had to, has been one of the most impacted industries. And 2020 is your first full year in charge of sports and events for TVNZ. Do you want to just sort of run through <laughs> how it's been for you? Yeah, look, it's been... Uh hard, it's been tough, there's been so much uncertainty. 
You know, I think from a TVNZ perspective, uh, we were lucky because we had the sports rights coming up, which were cricket and America's Cup. Um, and they were quite a way out from March when the first lockdown occurred. Um, however, we had to stop all work, all production um, on those events, just put them in the warming drawer. And, of course, we have the Olympics where Sky's partners uh, with that and that got pushed out for another year. So it is, it's really uncertain. And I think the sports uh, television and media industry as a whole really rocked. Uh, there are a lot of redundancies. Um, a lot of my friends lost their jobs, lots of cost savings um, in the other companies as well and friends who just haven't been able to work. Um, it's been hard. But... At TVNZ, uh, the interesting thing is that we're not just about sports. We've got a heck of a lot of other things happening. And uh, at the lockdown, just at the beginning, uh, we got a call. We knew the Ministry of Education was uh, looking to set up a children's education channel. And everybody else was super busy. So guess what? They rang me and my sports team and said, go and prop the ministry and come back and let us know what they say. And they ended up giving us a contract to provide children's programming over the lockdown and we're still doing it for them. Isn't that great? That's, that's <laughs> so amazing because, I mean, it just really speaks to the way that, I mean, all of New Zealand, but particularly, you know, uh, of interest to me is the, the way the media was just incredibly adaptable to it. How, how did your team, which was sort of recruited to do these kind of um, big hero sporting events respond to a completely different kind of assignment just being dropped in their laps. Yeah, they look like possums in headlights first. I have one, Donald, I'm sure he won't mind me talking about him, but he is the biggest sports freak ever. Uh, he has got so much memorabilia, it's ridiculous, and he has worked in sports for 30-odd years. Um, <laughs> I don't think he's ever watched a children's program, let alone um, having to get in there and help set up an entire channel. Um, and at the start, we were it was hard. We had 10 days to set up an entire channel. And not only that, uh, produce the lessons, film them, and get them in the system. Um, so it, it was incredibly challenging, but we knew it was for a good reason, which was all of those kids who didn't have access, didn't have internet access, didn't have devices. This was about allowing them to continue learning. So by the end of it, guess what? We're all fantastic um, lovers of a lot of our amazing teachers who are also presenters, uh, like Susie Cato. Uh, Karen O'Leary was uh, one of our favourites, Karen's house. And who knew that there was such a thing as being a Karen? <laughs> <laughs> found that out during the, I feel like Karen you know. should be exempted <laughs> from the Karen status. She's a yeah. very specific individual. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just just kind of thinking about the, the broader sector, both within and, and without of New Zealand, um, how do you think the, the sort of pandemic, the lessons of it, the, you know, both in terms of the the sort of dangers that and, and um, issues that have been exposed by it, but also the kind of creativity of um, about what the, the core proposition for audiences and 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 so on. You know, like experiments like the the NBA bubble, the way certain events have been able to get going, and others have really struggled. What have you sort of learned through through watching that? You know, almost from, from a kind of sports media lens, almost more so than the um, the actual events themselves. Yeah, difficult question to answer that. Uh, I guess I'd look at it from a New Zealand perspective uh, and what Aotearoa Super Rugby 
ended up being and bringing. Uh, so it moved from being probably your traditional sports broadcast, um, analysing sports, um, into a kind of a beacon of hope for a wider variety of Kiwis, right? So the audience numbers were absolutely outstanding. People were just happy, excited to celebrate New Zealand teams who are playing amazing rugby. And it proved that the product, um, Kiwi teams against Kiwi teams, is outstanding. So that was an interesting um, experiment to watch. Uh, and then we've seen the netball came back on as well. And unfortunately, the story for them wasn't as... Um, positive I think I don't know why because they still play great netball it is an incredible sport uh, but you know for some reason that didn't capture the imagination maybe they didn't have the same media following coverage whatever it was um, the great point though was that they were allowed to you know able to keep playing sport because of the fantastic way that COVID-19 was managed here uh, in terms of the rest of the world particularly rugby which is one I always keep an eye on it's decimated it's in trouble, um, and there are issues for many clubs and unions all around the world. So thank goodness New Zealand was able to manage the COVID-19 and um, allow some of our sports to keep playing. Do you think that there is a sort of like a long-term positive effect in, in terms of forcing the sport to confront some of the issues which it had kind of just kept punting another year yes. down, down the track? Yeah, COVID-19 allows the opportunity to change your sport broadcast, I think, and to really think about what is going to hit your wider audience or um, earn the fans back, basically. Sport has always had the assumption that fans love sports. That's not necessarily the case anymore. Uh, I think we've done some recent research, actually, which showed that 13% of Kiwis are avid sports fans, um, 16% hate it and everybody else in the middle can take it or leave it. Now that is confronting when you think about Kiwis, our culture, who we are and I guess our national reverence of New Zealand teams and athletes. It means that sports, sports bodies and sport broadcasters have to work a lot harder to make sure that what they put on TV or um you know, on OTT, whatever the platform is, is more compelling than it was before. I mean, that's. I think that that kind of gets into the the meat of it for for me. I've, I've sort of been a frustrated kind of half fan, half observer of New Zealand rugby over the past ten, fifteen years, during which it felt like the, you know, the the both the delivery of the product, the distribution side, and the presentation side had evolved quite rapidly and and in a way that um, sort of, you know, tried to go and meet the needs or, or, uh, or the, the possibilities, the opportunities of this new era. And it just didn't feel like New Zealand rugby and rugby overall as a, as a code particularly had been in motion or even just like particularly interested in sort of playing and experimenting in that area. And and it seemed to come back to almost some like fairly basic foundational assumptions of New Zealand rugby, which are just what you were talking about, and that they sort of seem to operate on the idea that, well, everyone loves rugby, and we just put it on, and they, they come. That's how this thing works. And they don't realise that they're now competing against UFC and the NBA, which have 
great streaming products, but also against like World of Warcraft. And, and they just aren't onboarding, you know, fresh generations of young kids in the same way that they used to. Do, do you think that uh, the new regime that's come into New Zealand rugby is sort of more cognizant of that? Because certainly you didn't get a strong sense from the sort of Steve Chu, Steve Hansen um, regime that they were overly concerned with, with that and certainly the, the deal with Sky in some respects could look like it's a sort of everything's fine kind of a signal to the market. Um, look, I hope so. I'm a rugby lover, so I'm optimistic uh, around where they're heading. I think that uh, some, uh, particularly uh, Bart Campbell, who's on the board uh, now, is bringing a very audience-focused um, strategic direction for New Zealand rugby. I think it's a little unfair uh, to say that, you know, um, they didn't really think about, you know, changing the broadcast, um, putting time and effort in, et cetera. Because the truth is that uh, there's so much rugby product um, that my time at Sky demonstrated this, that the production team is having to um, produce so much content around the rugby that it becomes like a sausage factory where you have to put in really strong templates and formats around how you produce a rugby production. Only then can you get out all of the um, content out the door. So um, what you see is a, is a production which has a formula. And I'm sure because you're an avid rugby fan, you would have noticed that over the years. But for all black test matches and super rugby, I would argue they do put a lot of extra elements in there. I think uh, you see, uh, is it the player cam? Um, in the weekend, they had one of those robot cameras that was whizzing up and down the field. They put a lot of time and effort into their graphics. So they do do particular parts of the production super well. Um, what I would say is uh, that TVNZ has to have a completely different approach to a sport broadcast compared to your traditional subscriber-based model, which caters to sports fans. The reason we have to is because we've got a massive chunk of the audience, 50% basically over the last four months is who we're reaching, which is absolutely massive. So if I use America's Cup as an example, the way we look at this sport event is that it's not actually a sport event that we're bringing to the public. It's an event broadcast because we're on air from a minimum of three hours. No one is going to want to watch a bunch of blokes sitting around talking about sailing for three hours. So how do we achieve it so that when someone turns on the telly, there's something for everybody? And I guess... Um, we don't often use strategy or purpose around our broadcasts. Um, so what we have is a really sp specific purpose that all of our team is going to align to, which is we just want to have a great time with Kiwis after a shit year. And so what that means is um, we want to have fun with them. We want to share with them the stories. We want to educate them because it's a complex sport, but we also want to party with them. And so our content reflects that. So the balance of our broadcast will be around about 40 to 45% event, people, fans, and 55% analysis, sport, because it's a great sport. It's something which Kiwis have never really seen before because they're like planes on the water. Um, an example of the type of content we were taking uh, somewhat of a risk on would be uh, our Toyota integrated content. So, you know, TVNZ 
earns money of advertising, whereas uh, Sky or Spark is subscriber-based. So we have to be quite clever with how we bring in our, our sponsors because we really rely on them more than the other two companies. Um, so with Toyota, um, they've sponsored um, an improv comedy that we are filming with Team NZ, which I won't say too much about yet, but it's probably the well, it is the first time in New Zealand this has ever happened ahead of a international sport event where a team is involved with actors who are doing improv comedy. It's going to be amazing. Um, from that, we bring one of the characters who's the Toyota ambassador into our profiles, and then they become part of the broadcast. And that person is a well-known um, semi-comedian who has a massive uh, following in the in the youth audience. So that's how TVNZ is trying to change a sport broadcast because we believe that that will hit uh, audience uh, segments that you might not reach if you just did a, an analysis of a sport. Yeah, I guess that's kind of, I mean, when I was talking earlier about the, the lack of innovation, it was less around the kind of presentation of the game on the platform and more about the distribution and how to make it a big tent. Um, yeah, well, you know, Sky earns most of their money out mm. of their satellite system, so you can understand why they would protect the box. But it's just about how long you protect it, right? Because it, it felt like, you know, if you just look at the situation they're in now, uh, they protect, potentially protect it too long. Um, but obviously there was the whole Commerce Commission thing there, which we said, <laughs> you know, you could yeah, do you, a whole like hour a, on. Yeah, yeah. Did, has John Philly ever said you're a broken record on that? Or, or <laughs> have you asked Martin about this? Oh, yeah, <laughs> he's I'm, new, I'm, he's fresh. So, I'm, you know. I'm, I've asked them both about it. <laughs> um, the, I guess, I mean, and that, that's the thing that's interesting to me and, and uh, uh, to hear you talk about is this idea that for sports to grow, like it, it can't just say we're, we're going to only speak to that avid fan group. We need to bring in that huge chunk of people in the minute, middle who are going to be, you know, basically persuadable, but not necessarily like default uh, into it. And I don't know whether, you know, the like an improv comedy thing, it seems high, ri <laughs> high risk, but if you pull it off, you know, that's like the kind of thing that might... Um, bring in a, a sort of a, a more casual fan. Did, just switching tack a little, did, did you, is that kind of thinking um, more strategic, more sort of audience first rather than product first potentially, is that the kind of thing that came out of your, your MBA, which you, you've done over the past few years? Yeah, uh, yes, absolutely, uh, audience first. Um, the MBA was an interesting exercise. Uh, I think that there are two main impacts uh, from that that have helped, uh, I guess, where I am in the broadcast space. And the first is an appreciation of uh, leadership and the different styles, um, you know, and aspects of self-awareness, things that I really needed to work on. <laughs> can't just be the former rugby player coming in swearing their head off and joking around and thinking that's okay in certain environments. I've learnt that now. Hello. Should have learnt that ages ago. Um, so that personal development from it. But uh, my MBA research project was, um, you know, my passion project. I think we've spoken about it before. Uh, why do corporates not typically sponsor women's sport when women are the most powerful consumers in the world? Uh, that relates to what we do um, with sponsorship and broadcast as well because uh, the lessons um, or the framework that came out of that was that we need to educate sponsors uh, on 
um, who the who the athletes are, what the sport is, data around um, the audiences, the coaches, their people, uh, and in television, I think that the fantastic job that Sky's actually done with the Black Ferns uh, and and also New Zealand Rugby and having them as curtain raisers to the All Blacks has actually seen a set of data which proves they have immense appeal as a television product. Um, so. That research project has been helpful in that. And the other, the other, I guess one of the other findings was um, sponsorship contracts for sports teams should be looked at uh, outside the box. So you don't just put a name on the jersey or on the side of the field. You've got to think of other ways to do that. And so um, you can take that and also put that against a broadcast sponsorship in terms of the integration. So typically sport broadcast doesn't have a lot of integration. I think cricket is, is pretty good with that. Um, not too many of the others. Uh, with TVNZ, we, that has to happen. We've got to do it. So how do we do it? We're going to do it in an editorial way, which adds to the whole sport broadcast. So that's thinking outside the box with that stuff too. So, you know, that um, three years of study, uh, amazing. They do call it the Marriage Breakup Association. I am still with my husband, unbelievably. Well, c- congratulations <laughs> on that front. Um <laughs> It's it's quite funny you should sort of say that the you know that you can't come in being the like sort of sweary <laughs> former black fan into every room because that is why what one of the I mean I I personally feel like that's part of what um, makes you appealing as a an on air personality but all like that that rawness and or the fact that you don't feel like you're being bullshitted by you is is quite rare in the in the rugby realm it feels like whether it's true or not the perception as 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 a viewer by the consumer of and some with some proximity to the the all blacks machine as distinct from you know some of the other um, elements of, that New Zealand rugby overseas is that it really sends any kind of personality off all blacks uh, such that they might sell more power aid and that strikes me as almost like the opportunity for women sporters to say, well, that's what they've done with their men's sport product is they've just made them this super bland everything and kind of for no one product so that, you know, for, for very specific and, and obvious commercial reasons. But by, by allowing the personalities and the, just the hardships that women athletes have to go through that are very distinct from, from men to, to shine through, that 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 will create a very different um, relationship with with fans. I mean, do you want to talk a bit about the, the challenges and, and opportunities for women's sport? Because it, it seems to me there is like this global um, awakening happening, or, or certainly there was prior to COVID-19. Hopefully it's not threatened by it. But, but you know, that's... that's but it's a really complex problem, right? Like some of it is sponsorship, a lot of it is media, uh, some of it's presentation and scheduling. You know, where where do you see the the biggest opportunity kind of coming from? Um, you know, out of all of the the different moving parts that are required to really help us sing. Look, from a personal perspective, uh, I think there's a, an amazing opportunity in the next um, twelve months to two years to create a framework or, or an example of how women's sport is commercialisable on um, a media platform. I think that TVNZ would be a great platform to do that on because of the reach and it's free. So 
they're our two advantages, I guess, in that we um, reach so many people and um, everyone can access it. So that's going to grow uh, the potential of the sport for a start. Um, yeah, and the, the other thing with uh, potential with women's sport at the moment is that the mindset has changed, as you've mentioned. So it used to be, look, no one watches it. It's not really going to grow much, um, you know, it's the All Blacks or the men's sport that we really care about. But people know now that the Black Ferns, the Silver Ferns, uh, Fast Five if it comes back, um, women's tennis, athletics, uh, women's golf, the list goes on, is an incredible product. And if I use the Black Ferns as an example, people who watch that game go, wow, this is actually different from men's rugby. It really is. And one of the ways it's different is you can see the patterns um, being played out on the field. Men's rugby is so quick that sometimes you don't see all the strategy or the chess pieces that are moved around. You certainly see that with a women's game. And the other thing about it is it's quite impactful seeing a woman smash another woman. And so that makes a great TV product. In terms of the media coverage, again, I think um, we're just, you know, on the edge of media companies doing something meaningful. Uh, TVNZ's doing a really great job and its news strategy and they're on a bit of a journey now too. And you might notice there's some incredible stories that they've been putting out lately uh, on female athletes um, and actually the journey from most sports. So I think that, um, you know, my, my from what I'm seeing there, just from the company I'm with, it's, it's really positive. So yes, I think... One to two years, you're going to see a product on TV or on a platform which breaks um, a lot of the conception around women's sport that you can't commercialise it. The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa, with over 4,000 out-of-home advertising sites nationwide across both street furniture and retail centres. I'm super grateful to O Media for enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. I mean, and that's, you know, I, I think probably a good good opportunity to circle back to the sort of start of your career. Um, I mean, do you do you want to talk a, a bit about like I'm I'm sure sure like both as a an athlete and and a journalist, you know, there have been times when you've been the only Māori woman in the room and been told why, you know. A particular, you know, why things are the way they are in a way that you've ultimately kind of, it feels like if you look back, spent a lot of your career resisting or, or, or trying to affect a, a, a sort of positive change in that area. Do you, um, do you want to talk about, you know, your, your first days as a, as a journalist? I think you started in the a press gallery I found out recently. Yeah, well, actually, my very first job was with Toby Robson at The Salient for Wellington University. Really? Yeah, he was my boss. 
He was a wonderful boss. I only lasted there for about mm, six weeks because the pay was so bad. Um, <laughs> then I went to the press gallery with Mana News, uh, which was a Māori news organisation um, that was fantastic because we had a magazine and also radio, and it gave this Māori girl who was still playing rugby and very rough at the edges the opportunity to be in the press gallery and learn about our political system. I did not have one clue about how it worked. And so I was thrown in the deep end, um, you know, trying to learn the different stages of policy and legislation um, as a 20, I don't know, 22 year old, whatever I was, was ridiculously hard. But luckily it was the start of MMP and we had a whole lot of other MPs in there that probably shouldn't have been in there who also didn't have a clue. And so I guess I grew with a lot of those guys. Um, you know, the Type 5 from New Zealand First, uh, the fabulous Māori females in there, Georgina Te Hiuhiu, Donna Awatero Huata, um, they were Turiana um, as well. They were all very kind to me. And so unlike a lot of the other journalists, they actually, because I was Mana News, they'd give me an interview before anybody else. Um, it was wonderful to be there because a, uh, there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, which in today's world would be certainly <laughs> in the newspaper or on Twitter or something. Mate, it was pretty full on. What um, kind of stuff we're talking about? Well, I'll just I won't go into detail, but I was in a party in the Beehive in Tohenity's office one night, and um, Jim Bold just said to me, "Why do you marries complain about everything?" And then stumbled off. Yes, no, that was a goodie. Um, but he was, you know, he was a good prime minister because remember under Jim Bolger and um, Doug, oh, what's Doug's last name? Minister of Māori Affairs at the time. Oh, um, Sorry, mind blank. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the same too. <laughs> you know who it is. Yeah. Anyway, so um, they passed a lot of... Graham. Uh, Graham, yeah, Doug Graham. So they passed a lot of legislation around Treaty of Waitangi grievances and two of them, Te Runanga o Naitahu and uh, the Te Wainamu, uh, Paunamu Bill, were passed when I was there and they were significant to me because I'm Kaitahu and, you know, I came from a lot of the areas when we have traditional gathering rights. So that was so beautiful to be a part of. Um, and also to see Sir Tipini O'Regan rip to bits some of the journalists in front of me. It was great. <laughs> so, no, a, a massive le Look, everything is a learning experience. So you talk about being a Māori girl who was trying to make effect change. Yes, but, you know, resilience is about learning. And so things might not go quite right um, at times, but you know, you just have a positive outlook. Um, my entry into Sky TV wasn't easy. I mean, you think that was 20 years ago and there was this chick on TV doing rugby. That was, when I think back on it, I mean, it's kind of amazing. Gracious. It almost feels like 10 years ahead of when you'd expect it to happen. Yeah. How yeah. did both the sort of staff and, and audiences respond to you? Because, you know, like that was, it was kind of revolutionary at the time. And, we, you know, it must have been a lot to to kind of go through, to just absorb and keep getting up? The audience were not happy, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, no, and radio sport was the key conduit of uh, um, expression at the time, so I was an avid listener of it. Actually, before I went to Sky, I was actually um, doing some shifts on radio sport, and I had to use the dump button a lot, let's put it that way. So I decided that wasn't really the platform for me because I was getting abused left, right and centre. But thank you, Murray Deeker, he gave me a good opportunity that was well appreciated. Um, Yeah, it was hard, it was really bloody hard. uh, there was resistance from some people in, in the company and certainly I found out many years later that, um, you know, Fox Sport and, and Super Sport South Africa were rubbishing New Zealand for having a female on there as well. Um, but there were some incredible supportive people and I'd say Rick Salizzo, um he actually helped me with the opportunity. A guy called Brendan Butt who's now at NEP, he was incredible supportive um andrea mcveigh she trained me um she was there as well and so i had a lovely network of support people and then the crew the crew you know the crew are great salty kiwis they don't get into all the backstabbing and stuff like that they hear it but they're there to be um professional and fantastic people so you know you just get through it and um maybe i did drink a little bit too much Booze to get through it as well. <laughs> um, but you know, <laughs> look, it was great. It was a great experience, and some of those, um, I don't know, funny stories that you know I tell my mates about over the years of, of working for Sky and World Rugby because I did a lot of travelling for them as well. Um, were amazing opportunities, experiences you'll never have unless. It was, you know, apart from that, it was a rugby um, opportunity, um, like going to a World Sevens World Cup in Moscow. That was awesome, mate. Great. So beautiful. So beautiful. Did you know it gets up to like 38 degrees there in the summer? I did not. Yeah. Yeah. And the, it's true, the women are beautiful and um, some of the men are not. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was also interesting to watch. <laughs> Mm. Um, is it? Do you sort of now looking at a, a situation where, while it's by no means perfect, there are just so many more women of colour, Māori women, working within sports and and just in in the you know in the industry in general? Um, do you feel some sense of kind of pride at having made that you know made that journey, put up with all that stuff you had to carry, and made it? Um, I guess you know, blazed that trail somewhat? Yeah, look, it's amazing. So I guess the thing is I was there, but there were other people there who wanted to change as well. And a lot of the time that is um, males who are in power. So when I mentioned your Brendans and, and your Ricks and also your Andrew Fife's and Kevin Cameron, they were really supportive of, of bringing in different people into the mix as well. So you never do it by yourself. And it's amazing to see the women Um we set up that wonderful group about three years ago and the other day I was reflecting on that. I'm, I'm super busy. Usually um, we set up four events during the year. We've only had one so far this year. But I had a, a think about, you know, who out of our mentoring program has done well and we've got about five or six full-time hires now at Sky Television um, from that mentoring program, which is amazing. We've got another one at, at TV3. Uh, we have a producer who's now been elevated to um, you know, a key decision-making um, uh, position as well. We've consulted people and shared with them on contract negotiations many, many times. Um, you know, 
Dame Julie Christie is uh, one of our members. She's the chairperson of the um, organising committee for the Women's Rugby World Cup. So all of these wonderful success stories, which are a legacy of not just me or supportive people in the past, but also all of these incredible women coming together, supporting each other and helping each other. So it's amazing. There is a um, still a massive hole, and I think that's... Um, probably in the executive or key general management or CEO roles in sports and media. Uh, TVNZ's really good. Kate Slater is is my boss and um, she's incredibly astute, commercial, used to work for IMG as well, so was involved in 2011 Rugby World Cup. Um, you know, so that's a, a massive big tick that we've got somebody like that. No one really talks about Sophie Maloney at Sky TV. She is making one heck of a difference as well. She's head of commercial. Um, you know, so these two key amazing examples, but we need more of those. Um, I want to talk a bit, little bit more about Wonderful Group in a bit because I'm so impressed with it. Um, but I also want to is it back to, to another um, sort of. Uh, Elements of your or your early career, which was extra MSM, which when I was sort of um, researching yesterday, I saw that you know those those seven letters and hadn't I realised I hadn't even thought about them for probably fifteen years. I used to write for extra MSN um, <laughs> myself back in the day, some of my, my first music reviews, uh, and it felt like you know because this is before the Herald, before stuff. There was some of the first. I don't know if it was quite sort of blog style writing but it was certainly writing with a, a freedom that you wouldn't get in uh, in print at the time you were there for a reasonable while right do you want to talk mm. about that and, and about the culture of that place and how it's informed your career yeah so it started out as extra.co.nz which was the internet provider um, quite a few people still have that email address I always sure yeah yeah they're pretty old those ones <laughs> they are. Um, <laughs> but it became a, a portal for content uh, which is where the extra MSM uh, link up happened as well. And we had these different channels, and so I was running the sport channel. Uh, there was music, entertainment, news, uh, and it was amazing. They were disrupting the market. We had live chats with athletes, uh, a lot of columns, uh, lots of photo boards. Um, it was a, a company which really encouraged you to try out things. So one of my ideas, uh, I think 2001, Two, uh, America's Cup was obviously uh, happening. They had a really crappy website. So I put together a prop, went down to Team NZ, and just like that, boom, because this happens in New Zealand, right? They go, okay, you can do our website. So we created and built their website, and we did a massive sponsorship with SAP, unheard of online at the time. And it was incredible just, you know, at 20, I guess 26 years old or something to be able to just do that stuff with that company. Um, Amazing time. Uh, I had lots of interesting people working for me, uh, including uh, Martin Crow's dad as well, who David Crow, who wrote the cricket columns. And um, he actually invited me around to his house to set me up with Martin, and Martin turned up with a 21-year-old, so David was really gutted. <laughs> uh, I'm glad I didn't end up with Martin. <laughs> He's awesome. He's a mate of mine. But in fact, my husband played with him, so it's probably good that I didn't. Um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was great. It was a great time. We had a games room, all kinds of things. Um, yeah, and then telecom sort of brought us back under the umbrella again. And that's kind of when I got out because it came a little bit more um, 
formulated around, you know, where we were spending money and those kind of things. <laughs> those boring things. <laughs> so tedious. Um, and do you want, in terms of your, uh, it, let's just return a bit to the wonderful group. Like, how did that, how did that come about and what, what is the goal of it? Because it, you know, I've, I've had a, some very small involvement with it, but just you just have to go along to the event to feel the sort of emotion, the possibility, and the, the sense of what, um, you know, of just well, what, what you're trying to accomplish and what just hasn't been before and, and how, how important that mission is. Yeah, it's really simple. Um, more um, diverse, more empowered women in sport media. And so... The aim is to not push people into positions before they're ready. It's actually about giving them skills, networking, um, mentoring to be able to be really, really and prepared when they get the opportunity. Um, so it's been really, really good. And that started from a, a global mentoring program where I was set up at ESPN. And in America, these kinds of groups uh, which try and accelerate um, different types of people into industry are quite common whereas it wasn't in New Zealand, particularly around sport media. So when I came back, um, a bunch of us from all the different media companies said, yeah, we, we need this now. So um, it's really impacted in, in a very short time. I think the the role of it is changing somewhat because we've got so many women who are now in positions where they wanted to be. So we're probably going to have to sit down and re-strategize what we do with it um, before the end of the year. So I'll look to do that. I'm looking for a sponsor who can give us some cash and then we'll do more good work. <laughs> if you're listening, <laughs> get in touch. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the, the your alumni is Madeline Chapman, who just yeah. today uh, scratched an episode that she directed of our sports documentary series, was nominated for uh, Best Sports Program at the NZTV Awards. So, awesome. You know? She's it's, great. It's working. Yeah, it's she's working. got one heck of a mind, that girl. She does. Yeah. One heck of a mind, one heck of a will. Um, and so let's just to 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 finish get, talk about your move from Sky to to TVNZ, um, which you know you've been with Sky for a long, long time. Um, what what prompted it? And just describe the role, and then what you know the, the, those first days, because obviously something something hugely significant just landed in your lap, basically the the moment you got there. Look, it was you know you. I guess you have time spans in your career and uh, I was so passionate about being a, a sport broadcaster and being a woman in rugby broadcasting, yet after sort of 12 years, the travel, being away from my family, um, the role didn't probably challenge me or fulfil me like it used to. Um, and I sort of looked around me and thought, look, how else can I impact this? Me being a commentator or, or a presenter isn't a position where you can influence the industry. So that's why I did the MBA and I was chatting to John Follette in the cafe about it. Um, you know, he had so many great qualities. You know, I know your your criticism around the platform thing with Sky, but oh, he was... John's an amazing oh, look, person. He, he really like, was. truly is. Yeah, uh, and he backed people. So he said, well, I've got a job, but, you know, um, you have to interview for it. It's head of corporate comms. So um, Chris Major was the overall head of external, and so she interviewed me, and I came into the office to work for her and alongside John and, and Rick Last, who was the director of sport. And that was a wonderful learning experience. 
great learning experience, got to really see the workings and machinations of the of the company um, and the strategy. But the problem is that my heart is still in sports and so head of corporate comms wasn't right for me. And so I came home one day and said to Marcus, and it was after one of those, you know, career courses at the end of the MBA that did this and I just said I'm quitting he went white just about fainted because that means he was going to have to pay all the bills (laughs) (laughs) and I took a lovely four or five months off um, lost loads of weight Um, you know he got a bit more attention it was great Um, (laughs) (laughs) and it was just by chance that uh, TVNZ was looking for a general manager of sports and events and Kate Slater, I personally believe, is is someone who is looking around her workforce and is genuinely looking for people who are different, who are going to add to the full mix. And so while I guess I I, I knew I had all all the skill set, working on OBs, production, blah, blah, um, but I hadn't held a general management role, it was probably slightly outside the box to fix me. I know that there was some very experienced people up against me. But she gave me the opportunity. And so that's that leadership thing I'm talking about. Um, so I'm very, very grateful for that. And um, it's been amazing. It's been, TVNZ's a great company. They've got a very strong culture, very strong executive, um, good people. And um, they're back in the world of sport, sport that matters to Kiwis. So big events, tier one events, or sports that is slightly more entertaining, like the Black Clash or sports that we are doing for another reason, which is like the Paralympics, um, because that's really important for New Zealand. um, And it's great to be, you know, working for them um, on those kind of products. Did you, did you, I'm just trying to think about the timing, but had the extent of TVNZ's recommitment to sports become visible at that time, or has that sort of come out of the, the yeah. work of the you've done? No, no, no. It, they were already back in the game with the Commonwealth Games, and uh, Kate had already signed up, or Kevin, Kate had signed up the Rugby World Cup deal alongside Spark, which was a massive game changer. It's quite a relaxing thing to have sort of six months out from your, uh, <laughs> your start date. Well, yeah, but Dennis Harvey was also there, who's an experienced uh, executive producer, so a really beautiful, safe pair of hands. Um, but yeah, big events. Um, it was fantastic to be involved in the Rugby World Cup, and my role there was, actually I was commentating for World Rugby, doing 20 hours a week for... TVNZ over there and key to that was to see the IBC set up and, and how we were handling that side of it so yeah it, it was it was great it's good fun I've got the best job in the world um, and <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think you might certainly for you the another element of it though and, and you mentioned just before we we started recording was that you've actually just joined the board of the Rugby World Cup Limited globally yes uh, how, how did that, that come about and what are you most excited about doing with that from a sort of a sports media perspective? Because that that's the cash cow of, of world rugby, right? Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it oversees all of the Rugby World Cups. Um, it's massive. Uh, it came about by, I guess, um, my relationships over the years with many people, um, not the older um administrators or leaders in rugby, more my generation of rugby players, and I'm talking about men. Um, And the fact that I've travelled around the world so often, I've developed some strong relationships. They were were looking for 
it's a player's perspective, right? It's a player's voice. So they were looking for somebody who would genuinely represent the players. So that person's probably shouldn't be affiliated to um, a union um, and they need to be neutral. And to be honest, there's not a lot of options out there. So look, <laughs> who did they get? Um, but no, they, 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 they looked at my CV. This is a big appointment. Like, um, you know, the, the CEO had to um, tick it off. So they looked at my CV and said, yes, she can add value. And um, myself and Brian O'Driscoll, uh, the Players Association's reps on, on that board. It's big. Um, Women's Rugby World Cup has been brought under the umbrella. It used to be under, um, I think, the commercial side. This shows a real commitment to actually making that uh, an event which makes money, one that they do have to invest in but actually makes money back for them. Um, so that's, of course, my passion. Um, but there are other big pieces in the picture uh, in terms of, you know, the hosting, how do we make that fair, um, and just contributing from a player's perspective, which is around well-being and making sure World Cups have got the right criteria which look after the players. So it's massive. And I get to sit next to Brian O'Triscoll. I just think that's cool in itself. Yeah. She gets to sit, he gets to sit next to you, really, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Hey, thank you so much for your time, Mel. Um, really, really fascinating to, to hear about you know a completely unparalleled career in, in New Zealand sports media and uh, yeah good luck with with everything that comes next thank you it's been a pleasure that was the fold brought to you by our partners at O media making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa huge thanks to O media for sponsoring this episode of the fold and enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.